Let's, um, let's look here at, at Revelation chapter 6. We've been uh, dealing with the seven sealed judgments. And uh, I'll just kind of quickly go over. I'm not gonna, I can't do everything. We, we started off by looking at um, the, the, the premise of going into all this, Revelation chapter 5, and um, looking at a few things uh, concerning the book uh, or the, the scroll that was opened. It was a, a, a book or a scroll that was sealed with seven different seals. We dealt with the, the fact of it being um, in, in that time frame, the importance of each seal being a document, especially uh, a document that, uh, that is of, uh, of a king and a, a decree nature, and how that would be if it was sealed, all those that were witnesses of, of the validity of that document, uh, each one would actually uh, have a seal and it would be wrapped, it would be sealed, and the only way to un, uh, uh, open that document was those that were wor- found worthy or the originators of the seals that, that were present at the, at the time frame of the, of the sealing of that document. Uh, only those individuals could be present to unseal that document, which then could, could allow for the declaration of, of its contents. And uh, we are told that, um, that there was a, uh, a, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals and uh, that there was no one found initially, no one found uh, to open or even look upon and read from uh, that book until one was brought forth. Uh, even John himself was in uh, great distress and heartbroken that no one was found who could open uh, the book and read from it what was declared. And yet he was told not to worry, that there was one found in heaven, and, uh, and it was as a lamb slain. And, uh, and that being Christ himself, being the only one worthy of unsealing the book, and therefore opening up that which is written and contained therein. With each seal that is opened, uh, we see judgments, we see actions taking place that are presenting to us the, uh, the events starting and the events that are, that are um, pushing through uh, the time of judgment, the time of tribulation. And so we began to look at these, uh, these seven sealed judgments. Like I said, we've already gone through um, uh, the first three. And uh, matter of fact, we mentioned that the, four, the first four seals are often more known, uh, popularly known, as the reference to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, uh, and therefore, it's given because of the way it's described here in Revelation uh, that John saw with the first four openings, um, the first four seals, that, uh, that each one uh, presented a, a vision to him, a view to him, of, of a different horse and a rider on that horse. Thus, you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, um, I want to give you an understanding as well, and, and do comprehend, if you haven't already understood this and what we've gone through, uh, as, you're, as you're reading and as you're seeing what John is describing, you also have to understand that uh, John is not describing 
an actual horse with an actual rider that actually leaves heaven and actually comes to earth and rides around the earth in a literal sense doing this or doing that. It's, it's not, uh, I saw a horse and I saw a rider and I saw a, and here's everything. He's not speaking of an actual event that what he is describing is all there is to it. It is a pictorial event. He is seeing and describing what it is that's going forth and these horses and the horsemen and all that's contained and the power given to them, the different things that, that John views, each part of that is a revealing of what's taking place as a whole, not just an actual rider on an actual horse. We want to look at it and turn it into a movie and make it look like horses come out of the sky and and a a black horse comes out of the sky and a red horse comes out of the sky and a pale horse comes out of the sky. And and we want to say all all these different things. Now, understand, when Jesus comes back riding riding on a white horse, it's going to be literal. But in this scenario, it's pictorial. And what the world sees and what's going on is not what John is describing. It's what we get from his description that's taken place in the world. And that is the tribulation period beginning uh, with an individual that, uh, that is there to, uh, if you want to put it this way, have his own rule and reign and his own time. Uh, and it's not Satan to begin with. It is his workers, uh, the Antichrist. There's a false prophet that comes in the picture. Uh, the dragon, now that's Satan, okay? That old serpent, um, he comes in the picture later on. But at this early point of the beginning of it all, we're dealing with uh, the individuals that are prescribed. And by the way, we already said this before as well. That all that takes place, though some people say it looks like Satan and all of his henchmen have taken full control of everything and they're having their way and they are in full control with no hindrances. And here's a reminder, even during the tribulation period, God himself, God Almighty, never loses control of the situation. Satan does what he's allowed to do. And he does it in the time frame he's given to do it. And he can only go as far as he's allowed to go. And he will be stopped when God decides to stop him. He'll be cast into the pit. And he'll be held and for a thousand years. And then he'll be released again. And then he'll be cast completely into the lake of fire for all eternity at the end of all that. But as a whole, God himself never hands the reins over to Satan. He gives him a window of opportunity and says, there's your box, there's your opportunity, do your worst, but I'm still in control. Say, how do we know that? (laughs) The prophecy is of God, not of the devil. God's the one who prescribed what will happen. And what he has said is what will happen and nothing more. And he's already laid out all that Satan will accomplish. Now, there are aspects of the tribulation period, and there are aspects of things that we are not given. God does not share every little detail, which is why it is dangerous when you have somebody 
uh, in, in all the scholarly settings that come out and say, let me give you what I have had a vision that God has shown me that there is an unknown uh, source of truth that now we can know what, in greater detail what's really going to happen when all this takes place. Watch out. There is some new truth that no one has ever taught before because I've just now seen it and I can tie all the pieces together and show you we know all that's going to happen. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You don't know all that's going to happen. By the way, those same individuals say, now we also can predict when it's going to happen. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't predict it. Many of them have made a lot of money doing it, but they keep having to constantly postpone what their date was. Oh, it wasn't that date. Now it's this date. <laughs> oh, I, I missed one little small detail. Now it's this date. You miss a lot of big details, actually. And uh, one of the biggest is when it comes to the return of the Lord in the sense of the rapture, when the church is taken out, when it comes to the initial starting of the tribulation uh, and, and that, that initial part of everything happening by the church being removed, there is no way to know the exact day and the exact hour, though we are told that we can understand the times and the seasons and know that his coming is nigh. We can know and we can, we can sense it, we can feel it, we can see it, we can't pinpoint it, but we can know we're right there. Because we're not to be ignorant of those things that we have been given to understand and at least draw ourselves to look up because our redemption draweth nigh. But as a whole, the initial starting point is not something we can pinpoint. Now, here's what you can do. The moment the, that the church is raptured out, again, I don't know the span of time between that moment and the moment that there is a signing of a peace accord that takes place. Uh, but however, whatever small length of time, it won't be massive, but there will be a small length of time that chaos will ensue and crazy things are going to happen. The world is going to be turned upside down by the loss of millions of people who've been taken out in a heartbeat. And there's going to be a void that the Antichrist is going to want to fill with himself. And he's going to see opportunity to take over. The one world government is already very prevalent in the minds of most people today. Uh, most leaders throughout all the countries of the world are coming around to the global initiative mentality. And it's becoming more and more prominent uh, in our world today that it won't even be really a, a, a big thought to go ahead and just flip the page and accept it. We found out with COVID how quickly what we thought people would think, changed just like that. The way we thought people would act changed just like that. Oh, Americans ain't going to put up with it. A majority, of the play, a majority of the country went home and hid. And those that said, oh, I'm not going to hide before you know it, eventually they, they succumbed to the pressures of everything going on. Now imagine the entire world pressuring and saying you will or you die. There is no candy coating it. You will go this way or you will die. And that's what's going to happen. But whatever time frame there is from the church being taken out to the peace accord being signed, I don't know exactly. There's, the Bible does not give a description of a time frame exactly. But what we do know is 
the seven year, which is very specific in time, very specific in the number of days between each thing uh, throughout the Bible from, if you look at, at Daniel and, and, and even, even some prophecies uh, from Daniel and Ezekiel and, and other places uh, dealing, and especially Revelation, put all those things together, you can have a lot of um, great deep theological uh, discussions on the time frames for the actual tribulation period. So when the, when the accords are signed, when the peace is signed, you can put a stopwatch on it at that moment. Seven years from that moment will be the ending of all of it. And Jesus will return and he will place his foot on the Mount of Olives. Now at that point, you can pinpoint time. Unfortunately for most people, what they don't realize is uh, I cannot help them with that exactly because I won't be here to tell them, oh, by the way, start your clock because I'll be gone. But uh, at least I believe I'll be gone. I don't know about you, but I know I, 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 I'm trusting and believing that, uh, that my Savior is coming and getting me out of here. So once, once all this takes place, these seal judgments, understand we're dealing with uh, the tribulation time frame. Judgments begin in tribulation. So when you start seeing the seven seal judgments and the book that is being opened with each seal, you're talking about the time frame that is the beginning and the, the early parts of what takes place in the tribulation period, first three and a half years. So as we begin to open the seals, we talked about seal number one being the white horse, and a white horse, and it does give you a simple understanding, a rehearsing a tad, and that is we came to the conclusion, I believe it's very easy to come to the conclusion, that you see all the pictures of, of one trying to uh, mimic the true Messiah. A white horse, a bow which deals with strength, a crown which deals with royalty and leadership, uh, going forth conquering and to conquer. So the conquering king or false king, okay? So you had this individual taking on, by the way, I remind you, Satan, uh, our adversary, doesn't have a, a single um, unique idea in it, throughout his entire body. He doesn't have a single unique aspect about him uh, when it comes to his ideas and what he does. Everything he does is a copy of what he knows God has already uh, written that he will do, and Satan does a twisted version of God's plan. He has the antithesis of every aspect, even down to the Trinity. Uh, Satan himself has his own Trinity. You have the Antichrist, you have the false prophet, and then you have uh, the, 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 the great dragon himself, Satan himself. You have his own Trinity he builds. Everything is a copy that is a false alternative to God's plan. And so the first rider on a white horse coming as part of the first of the judgments of the tribulation, which means you now are entering into that time frame, 
that first individual riding a white horse, having a, 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 a bow in his hand and a crown given unto him, going forth conquering and to conquer, this is a picture of the Antichrist who comes on the scene as one riding a horse of hope and peace and is, it ha, has strength and the, the ability to lead men and a crown is given to him which would give a, a picture of authority handed to him by the nations. He, they give him a crown, be our Messiah, be our ruler, help us out of this disaster we have. And he goes forth conquering and to conquer. He's victorious. He takes the hearts and minds of people. He leads everybody in a false sense of peace. And by the way, as good as it might look, every single bit of it is judgment from God because it might look good, but it's rotten to the core. It is fake. And it doesn't take very long for all of the fake to start showing. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And uh, may I say, the, the well is actually pretty shallow when it comes to the Antichrist. He looks good to start with, but before you get very far into the tribulation period, you actually have what's really happening here and devastation and death, famine. All these things begin to happen because of the leadership and purpose of Antichrist. But that's the white horse. And again, the picture John is given is a, a, a horseman riding a white horse with a bow and a crown. And he's going around conquering. That is the picture given. But what the world sees is a world leader that comes on the, the idea of peace. He has the answer. He's like a knight in shining armor riding his white horse just out of the movies. And he comes with strength and ability to win people over. That's what that bow stands for, his strength and ability. And he comes through, what I would say, even his skill politically. And he wins the hearts and minds of people. And that is judgment, number one. That they would trust in a false, even Israel, trust in a false messiah and be tricked to their own doom. Then the second seal is, uh, we saw in verse three and four of chapter six, a red horse picturing bloodshed, removal of peace, the evidence of real purpose of the Antichrist, and a great sword, which is an object of war and execution. That red horse, it doesn't take very long. And the true nature of Antichrist begins to show itself in the early, early stages of the first three and a half years. Then you go into the third seal opened up and, he, and John sees a, a black horse and, 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 and the dark horse here, uh, the, the picture of, uh, believed to be a, a great picture of famine, very dark days. Very low days, very hard days, uh, and, and a pair of balances in his hand and a, a picture of, of poverty. The scales just don't weigh out. The scales are off. Uh, financial, the idea of the, look at our financial system. And what, what is the picture when you look at the idea of finance? What, it's, it's someone holding a scale to weigh out the cost. 
And so uh, the scale is given or the power over the ability of finance and how finance works in the world, believing that through judgment, you will find that famine takes place. By the way, somebody said, when you have war, you have death. You naturally have in, those, in the countries that were hit the hardest, you'll have a natural occurrence of great famine and lack and poverty because it's been stripped of everything. Your food sources have been blown up or burned. Your ability to defend yourself is shot. It's over with. And most of the world, honestly, very, very little of the world, even in today's time frame, come to the aid of those who are truly hurting because we are, we are growing with a, a, a continual increase in selfishness. Me first, and if I got anything left over and I want to, I might help you. That's the world mentality. Now imagine going into a time frame where the church is gone and there's no one Again, there will be folks saved, but there's no, there's no church body to be standing initially saying, that's not right. That's not how Christians live. That's not how Christians act. That, won't, that for the most part, won't be there. These are the early stages of it all. The church is just now gone. So you have this black horse, a picture of famine, picture of poverty with the pair of balances, uh, the idea of worldwide hyperinflation possibly taking place. You're talking about mass chaos because of a great amount of death. And uh, may I say, even the lines being blurred as to countries and who does what and who has what and who controls what. But there is one clear leader that everybody's looking to for all the answers, and he is slowly but surely going forth conquering and to conquer, and he's taken advantage of all this the entire time. May I say, as you see these seals open, it doesn't end one seal as it starts another. They're compounding with each other. The Antichrist doesn't stop doing what he's doing as the second seal comes in. The second seal is the progression of his aggression. The third seal is a progression of his aggression. And all of this is compounding and growing. And now we come to the fourth seal. I'm going to move quickly as we get this in, all right? So the fourth seal here, Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, uh, here And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. As we, we see this fourth seal, we now come to the, the last of what is called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The pale horse, uh, believed by, by most scholars and all to, to, to truly represent uh, disease or, or even the, the action of, of fear. You ever seen somebody? And, and you, you know that saying? You're as white as a ghost. Or, or better yet, you look like you've seen a ghost. What happens typically in that moment, what you've had is somebody that has been so scared by something, they literally flush out. 
They go white. They, 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 it, 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 you know, you're like, you need to sit down for a minute. <laughs> you look like you're about to pass out. What's going on? So you have, you have disease that can produce, and, and, and some people say that this would actually bring about a, uh, an idea um, of what it would be like on the earth with all these corpses of people dead. Just imagine. Now, we're just getting started. We're in the first three and a half years. It hasn't gone very far. I don't know how far, maybe, maybe a year into it by now. Uh, we don't, we're not given exactly the time frames of how far this is pro- progressing along. But with each seal opened, it compounds with the other and compounds with the other and compounds. It is a fulfilling of all these things coming to a culmination of an end result. What is your end result as a whole with the first first four of these seals? The end result is one-fourth of the entire world population is annihilated, destroyed. Whether uh, through um, uh, famine or, or hysteria, people dying at the hands of other people. We see that already. Yeah, yeah, Bill Gates, some of the other people, uh, they, they're doing that uh, very specifically. But you go, go, into, go into areas and go into, well, I'll give you some examples. Um, you can go into uh, Venezuela or other countries that have, have been met with great devastation, whether through natural disasters. By the way, the Bible talks about how in the end times there will be natural disasters. We're already seeing them. And these are, are going to be things that certain areas of the world are going to be trying to recover from when all this begins to take place. And so you're talking about compounding uh, uh, um, uh, insult to injury. We, how can we even dare? Look, now there's millions of people missing. And what's going on? And now, and now every, every country around is trying to take over every other country around. People are trying to jump on their opportunity. Now everybody's looking at this one guy. He's got all the answers. Let's trust him. We trust him. Next thing you know, we have famine. We have war. We have death. Oh, we have pestilence taking place. Boy, just everywhere you turn around, the entire world looks like we're going up in flames. Fear will strike the heart of of man. And it hadn't even gotten to the worst of it. It's just warming up. But all of this is building and building. And by the way, Satan himself has not even come to do his dirty deed of leadership. He's still, according to the Bible, he's still in the presence of God making accusation and doing all his dirty deeds as the accuser of the brethren. You say, how do you know that? Because there's a time frame when he is cast from the presence of God, which means he has to be there. He is cast from his presence to the earth. But that's not yet. So it hadn't even gotten to the point where Satan, the dragon himself, is ruling, trying to destroy anybody that opposes him and doesn't take his mark. We're not even there yet. And the world is going nuts. And the world is destroying itself while you have this leader saying, we got peace, we've got peace, we've got peace. And as people die... The idea of peace begins to die. 
in Jerusalem or with Israel itself as things progress and get worse. Even Israel themselves begin to have issues and problems, though at the beginning of it all, the Antichrist is supposedly there on their side helping to protect them. He is their Messiah. Three and a half years in, that changes in a heartbeat when he does the abominable in the temple. And all of a sudden, they realize what they've really got. But up to that point, it's been building. Let me put it this way. There is a wall kind of around Israel at that time that the, the Antichrist kind of puts himself as their protector. He is deceiving them. And there, are, there is still hatred of Israel. By the way, there will never, ever be a time where there's not hatred of Israel. There is still hatred, and it's a growing hatred, and it's getting worse. But he's there, and he is the one keeping things kind of at bay, at least appearing to keep things at bay, though there are attacks, and there are plans of attacks. But he's on their side. And then three and a half years in, they realize what they've really got, and they say, you're no Messiah And here comes Satan himself, and between the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan himself, they go full throttle to annihilate the Jewish people. And all Israel scatters to the wilderness. It's a whole other teaching, so I'm just just giving you a little heads up on it. But they scatter to the wilderness, and God himself has to supernaturally protect them from annihilation. But in all this, they think they've got a hero on their side. Fourth seal is open. It's a seal of a pale horse, that horse representing uh, the disease of the earth, the fear that's fallen on man, even possibly the amount of corpses that are around this earth. There's people dying so fast, you could not try to bury them all if you wanted to. Sounds horrible. Sounds like a real apocalypse. Real tribulation. The Bible specifically says uh, concerning uh, that writer there, as we look at verse 7 and 8, um, that, especially verse 8, that uh, the name of the writer, uh, his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. What that is, you got death and hell. By the way, is there anybody that you know of that, uh, that has conquered death and hell? The one who will one day come and rule as king of kings and lord of lords because he has the rightful heirship to the throne. And he's already conquered death and hell. But at this point, death and hell are given the ability. And what you see is death throughout the world and many souls finding themselves in hell. You say, is there no hope for people in the tribulation? There is hope because truth is preached. We'll get to that later. Truth is preached all throughout it. And there will be, we'll see in just a moment, there are people who are saved during the tribulation period. There has to be, or the next seal wouldn't make any sense. But I'm not there yet. Y'all hold on. So death is the writer. Hell is his close companion that follows along with him. And the power that the Bible says they are given, they are given the power to kill uh, by sword, hunger, death, and the beast of the earth. Uh, I'll give you a little bit on that beast of the earth here in just a moment as to three different views with that, and then we'll move on. But here's something that is, is startling. When you talk about the power 
and, and the fact that a, a one whole entire quarter of the earth is affected by this. Now, this is, again, considering that it's the culmination of all these things together. Here is now coming that fourth seal that starting with the first seal is now coming to the fourth seal of a completion of here is your result of the beginning of tribulation. That one quarter of all the earth, um, uh, as, you, as you are presented with that understanding uh, the tribulation produces uh, the number of, of deaths as a whole worldwide, just in a general sense. We don't get an actual number, but if you were to take uh, the, the numbers of the day, take where we are today, and, and you are to take a quarter of the earth po- population as of right now, you would be in excess of 2 billion people dead in a short period of time. Now consider the entire tribulation period is only seven years. The first half is only three and a half years. Even if you were to say that this is towards the end of of three and a half years, over in excess of two billion people dead in three and a half years is staggering. You're talking about just mass graves. You want to call it even mass genocide. But we're talking about deaths from hunger, deaths from war, deaths from famine, and just where the hunger comes from to some degree. Some of the hunger is because of the political rule of things. We don't give you food. If you don't do what we say, we'll starve you out. That's going to be part of it that war and all that happens. And, but then you have, you have pestilence, you've got disease. You've got all these things uh, happening on a regular basis and then you've got uh, countries and people fighting against people and then the Bible even says here that the beast of the earth are part of it. Now there's three different, uh, three different views and I'll just give you those very quickly as to what uh, the, the three different uh, views of what it means to the beast of the earth. You would almost say, well, that's simple. We're talking about the animals. Well, um, there are two views that do follow with uh, it, it dealing with animals. One of them would be that it, with the increase um, in the, the lack of food, that man would be looking to everything possible to eat which means they are going to strip the forest. They're going to strip everything around. People are just going to be trying to grab anything and everything, which also the animals depend on. And as their food source gets down to where they can't find anything, the animals very possibly will get even more aggressive and they'll start seeing anything and everything that's possible as a food source. So a young child could be outside in supposed protected areas, and yet here come wild creatures who are migrating around just trying to find food, and all of a sudden you've got wolves that aren't supposed to be there and bears that aren't supposed to be there and and, and wild cats and different things, and, and they're hungry, and they're vicious, and they see a small child, and they very possibly just go after and maul and eat the small child. There is no more fear of man as it would have been. They become highly aggressive just to survive. 
You see that happen even today in, in some areas where, where um, winter hits hard and food sources get real low. Uh, animals start looking and considering just about everything. That's a possibility. That is one view. The other view would be that God would use and allow um, the natural pestilence of animals, such as rats, some birds that carry disease, and that there would be possible additional diseases carried throughout the world through the beasts of the earth. And therefore, you now have not only the issues you're dealing with uh, in, the, in the natural sense of what we have, but you can go back to the, 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 the um, bubonic plague time frames and go back to the times where, where uh, things are such a mess. There's death everywhere. Animals are eating on death and animals are now spreading death. It's a good possibility. There's also the last one here is, is one that gets into more specific um, detail of, of the word used when talking about beasts. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to go deep into this because it's very theological. But there is a, a hold to the idea that, um, that the beast, being that it is the Greek word therion, and the Greek word therion is used 38 times in referring to the Antichrist and false prophet. Therefore, it is considered that it's very possible since you want to take the consistency of the use of the original word, the original um, language written here, uh, that you would take the original word, where is it most often used? Therefore, it must be consistent with using it again here because 38 times it's been used throughout the book of Revelation to refer to the Antichrist and the false prophet. So Therion, being beasts, they say, is, is very possibly, uh, in this, this third idea, uh, it, that it leads some scholars to hold the opinion that the beast of the earth is in reference to man in his military and political actions acting as natural brute beasts, losing all humanity and just wanting to, and desiring to rule and reign and conquer and devour with no conscience. Led by who? By the, by the mentality and desire of Antichrist and false prophet. It is the essence of Antichrist and false prophet. This destruction, annihilation, destroying man, removing humanity, bringing into subservient mentality these people that we now turn into nothing but slaves, our slaves. The political environment and the military environment killing just to kill. Destroying just, just to destroy. Proving who's in control when it's not even necessary just to make sure we keep the fear in people. Oh, oh, oh by the way, that just, that, I just had a thought. I don't know how many of you keep up with the modern day movies of the day, but if you keep track of any of the modern day movies of the day, the, the, the 
destruction, war, political overthrow movies of the day, you find most times that the, the underlying tone is, even when we don't have to, we instill fear through death. I, I can give you one example that it, most, most people probably would know, um, but uh, there, there is a series of movies, very catchy, very interesting to a degree if you're into them, but um, the series of movies, uh, it, oh gracious, the name of it just, um, just left me, uh, Hunger Games, The Hunger Games. What is the, what is the, the premise of Hunger Games? There, there was an uprising of, of, of some groups in, in different sectors of this, commu- of this entire world. And those groups uh, up, up rose up because there was one main elite group that was trying to, to control everybody. They rose up to try to take over for their own freedoms and they failed. And uh, for generations, the, the elite group that lived in great wealth kept all the other places. They needed the other places. One place was a place that dealt with coal. One place was a place that dealt with food sources. One place, so they needed all these places and they kept them in check by every year. Two individuals had to be chosen of the children to fight in a bloody battle to the death and only one would win and be your hero. But the whole point about it is to keep, and you learn as you go through the process of it all, is to keep the different groups under control by fear. Death controls them through fear. It's funny how there's a lot of that stuff. Oh, I don't know anything much about these movies, but I do know enough from kids that I had to correct on this in public schools. But there's another big set of movies that became really big. They might still be big, I don't know. But it was called The Purge. What I understand about the idea of The Purge, and they had a series of movies that did. The Purge was a once a year, there was a a short time frame that every 24 hour time frame that everyone was allowed to kill anyone and there would be no repercussions and in 24 hours 24 hours you killed somebody you went to jail and all that kind of stuff they, you dealt with, but in 24 it's called the purge we will now purge society and even people, what I understand, even people that you thought you could trust might have a grudge against you. And in that moment, a child could kill a parent. A parent could kill a child. A coworker could kill a coworker or a boss because you may be mad the day before. And this 24-hour period, I'm going to take it out on you right now. It's called the purge. Can you not see what society is trying to implement in the minds of men today? Now take all of that and turn it into reality with a leader who wants it to happen because that's how he's going to take over. You can almost see the tribulation and the mindset of men in the tribulation through the movies that Hollywood's coming out with right now. I wonder who 
inspires such movies for the minds of men to be influenced to think of what we could do to reduce the population of ridiculous people. Sounds like something straight from the pits of hell. Boy, I need to be done. Here, here it is. Here's, here's the last uh, we're going to do. Let, uh, that, so that's the end. Now think about it. Think, think about the whole thing there um, with the beasts of the earth and, and, and all, regardless of, of what the beasts of the earth are, regardless of what all's taking place, just understand after the first four seals uh, that are opened, you have in excess, according to the, the population right now, you would have in excess of over 2 billion People dead through starvation, through pestilence, through violence, war. Um, sounds pretty awful. And it hasn't even warmed up all the way yet. But let me show you the, 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 the fifth seal very quickly. Fifth seal doesn't take very long because it actually leaves the events going on on, on earth during the, the early days of the tribulation. And it now moves, the fifth seal moves us back up into the presence of Almighty God. And there is a host that is presented to us in the fifth seal. And this is the, the, the host of souls that have been martyred for their testimony and faith in God. And so we look here in verse 9 to verse 11, and this is where we're going to close out with this fifth seal. And it won't take too terribly long, all right? Verse 9 to verse 11 so then when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Now, here's what's funny. Up to now, first seal, one of the beasts around the altar said, come see. Second seal, the next beast said, come and see. Third seal, the next beast said, come and see. Fourth seal, the, another beast said, come and see. Fifth seal, nobody had to tell him anything because he just looked there and there it was. He's now back in the presence of God. He's seeing something that maybe did not catch his eye before. And here it is. Now this fifth seal is opened. And all of a sudden he's like, hey, where'd they come from? And here it is. It's a group of souls. And uh, as verse number nine said there, and I saw uh, under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And, and by the way, this is after the first four seals. And they're still saying, we haven't been avenged yet. So all that's going on has nothing to do with these individuals. They're still saying, how long before you avenge our death as martyrs? And so that, that side of what the Lord's going to take care of hasn't even happened. Uh, verse number 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So here's what we see in, in this, uh, this fifth seal as we now our attention is brought not not back on earth and a continual, by the way, things don't stop on earth. It keeps going and it keeps 
all that's happening and all the ability of the bloodshed and the power to kill and destroy, all that is still going on. But the attention for John now comes back to the presence of God. And here is this group martyred for their testimony and their faith in God. And what we see is their question, how long before you fulfill judgment and, and vengeance? Because vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. How long, Lord, before you fulfill the judgment to answer what happened to us for your name? And then you also see their robes. So their question of how long, their robes, these were individuals martyred but not forgotten of God. They are given the same robes of righteousness. Why? Because their faith was in Christ. Their faith was in God's plan. Their obedience was to follow what God said to do. They're not, well, well were, are they part of the church? I would imagine you have those part of the church. I imagine you have some of those that had placed their faith in God all the way before the church that were martyred because they stood for truth. But there's not a complete set of people here. We're missing some. There are individuals that aren't dead yet for the cause of Christ. There are individuals that are yet to be martyred for the cause of Christ. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a time frame of tribulation period. So there are individuals that are not in the group. And so you see now their instructions as well. Their question of how long before you fulfill the judgment on the people, on the world because of what happened to us. The robes that are given to them and, and showing that they are washed white in the blood of the lamb. They're given the white robes just like anybody who's been washed. And then you have the, uh, the instruction given, wait a little longer for those yet to join you. There are still some living at that moment on earth in tribulation that will take a stand and will die a martyr's death because of it. So this presents to us the prayer of martyrs, uh, martyrs for the vindication from holy God and the fact that there will be souls saved during the tribulation period that will face a martyr's death. So you say, how do you know that people will be saved during the tribulation? There is one instance, just one out of many, but there is one instance right there. It would make no sense for the fifth seal to be opened for John to actually see. And by the way, in that particular moment, we're not now dealing with a pictorial scenario because it, the, the, you don't have someone say, hey, come and see what's going on. And here's a picture of what's happening. No, no. He actually, with his own eyes, in the presence of God, sees a literal group of people. So now we go from the figurative picture of what's happening to a literal understanding. There are, there are souls that were martyred and they, God has them to a degree. They are set aside. They are special because they gave their life. And by the way, we don't even know, honestly, in America today, we don't know what martyrdom really is. Oh, somebody rebuked me on Facebook for standing for Jesus. That's not martyrdom. That's irritating, but that's not martyrdom. Being burnt at the stake is martyrdom.
being beheaded is martyrdom. Being taken outside your home and each one of your children shot in front of you say, deny him or they die. I can't. Pow! Go to the next one. Deny your God or this child dies. I can't. Pow! All the way down, come to your wife. Deny or I kill your wife. I can't. Pow! Sometimes they would let the individual live. Many times they just go ahead and shoot the one that they tried to get to deny Christ. That entire family, by the way, would be a family of martyrs for the cause of Christ. And that has happened. That's happened in Africa. That's happened on the Middle East. It's happened in the Asian countries. We don't even know what it is to suffer for our Savior. We think we know, but we don't. But the Bible says that there is a group of souls that God specifically has a place for And he has them grouped because he knows everyone that has died as a martyr for him. And he has them and they are robed in white robes and they are told in that moment, their desire is, Lord, you promised you would avenge the death of your saints. Lord, when are you going to avenge on the earth the death of your saints? And the Lord says, just wait. And he tells them, you hold on and rest. That's what's it. I love that, rest. Just rest. Don't worry about it. I got it. But there's more coming to join you. There's more martyrs that are going to die during the tribulation. And until your brethren come, until they, I've gathered all the martyrs, y'all just rest. But I will avenge every individual martyred for my name but we're going to wait until the last one is finished. So you see this picture of, of, by the way, what is already happening by the fourth seal. And then you have the fifth seal and you see a promise that God has more coming. And he's going to take care of business. But there's going to be a lot happens before he even finally takes care of the last business on earth. But we're up to five out of the seven seals. We've got two more seals to come, and they, uh, they get more intense. And that's not the last of the judgments. That's just the starting. I sure am glad I'm not here during the tribulation period. Because I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And uh, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone, and one day he'll come, and I'm gone too. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for...